Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who brings us great comfort. In the name of Jesus, amen. Here again, a portion of our epistle lesson today, as it says, For through him, Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So far our text. Our epistle lesson today, St. Paul compares two states of being before God. He describes what the Ephesians once were and compares it to what they are now. Because at one time, they were far off from the kingdom of heaven, but now they've been brought near to God in Christ. At one time, they were strangers and aliens to the covenant promises of God, but now Christ, their peace, has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. At one time, they were Gentiles, or parts of a foreign nation, not in communion with God and their flesh, but now they are holy citizens of the kingdom of heaven who have union with God, both in body and in spirit. At one time, they were uncircumcised according to their flesh, but now they are so completely reconciled with Christ that Christ has joined them into the body of his church. See, St. Paul is telling the Ephesians how drastically different the grace of Christ has made them they are now built into something that is totally new and different. They are the household of God built upon the foundation of Christ. And that is the difference between peace with God and hostility towards God. A life that has peace with God is beautiful. It's a good life. And it is beautiful because it is a life that is rooted deeply in the forgiveness of sins. And the forgiveness of sins is what gives you life. To remain in sin is to be spiritually dead. The beautiful life the Christian is called to is nothing other than to have your sins forgiven by Jesus. It is to dwell in the rich mercy of God that has worked out for us in Christ Jesus alone. And in this, we are remade. Something new. Once we were alien to God, now we're not. Once we were Gentiles, foreigners, distant from God, now we're not. Once we are hostile to God, now we are not. And it's all because of what God does for us by forgiving our sins. We are brought near and reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus alone. There's nothing more beautiful than this. I promise you. You will not find anything better, more wonderful, more beautiful than having your sins forgiven by God. The life that dwells in that forgiveness, that is a beautiful life. 
because in it you are joined to something greater than yourself. You are built into the temple of God that is a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. You are united with God's holy Christians, made a member of the body of his church. There's no dividing wall of hostility between you and God, and there's no dividing wall of hostility between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. There is only peace and blessing because your sins are forgiven. There is hope in the promise of life in the world to come, and this is built upon the foundation of Christ. And this means that life is built around Christ. True life is built on the forgiveness of sins because God forgives sinners. And that is the foundation of which all God's good, good and godly things are built. A good marriage, a faithful parent, dutiful work, community service, self-sacrifice, fruitful teaching, peaceful and productive dialogue, peace among men. These are all built on the forgiveness of sins in Christ. It's the forgiveness that you receive freely by the grace of Christ. Jesus sheds his blood for sinners. And all good and beautiful things that happen in this life come to us from this grace and this goodness. There is so much that draws our hearts away, though, into ugly things, things that are not beautiful, there's so much that tells us that all of our hope is bound up in today, right now. Yeah, there's a time for forgiveness of sins. There's a time for Jesus, but that time is later. But now, now we have time for other things. Man will endeavor to build his life around his own terms. It's not good to be alienated from God's mercy. To be estranged from God means that we remain hostile to God in our sin. Yet people choose this. That's what our sinful flesh wants to do. As we are content to dwell in hostility towards God. As we don't see the need for forgiveness of sins as something that is beautiful and life-giving. But we see it as something that's, well, an option. One thing among many things that we can do with our time. And a good way to know where the heart of a person resides is to watch what they say and do. A person's time is the best indication of what's important to them, how they use it, what's sacred. For example, a PhD candidate loves and is fascinated, fascinated by the subject that they're studying so much that they're willing to dedicate their life and spend years of studying that one thing and then applying it and teaching it. Their lives become devoted to that one subject, so much that it becomes an obsession. Another example that happens maybe a little bit more organically is motherhood. A mother loves her children so much that her life begins to all revolve around these little people who need her each and every day. When a person loves, and what a person loves, will guide and direct what a person does with their life. How much time they spend on any given thing is an indication on how much they love that thing. You think about this in terms of doing your taxes. You want to get those things done as quickly as possible, get it in the mail, and get it out of your life and set it aside for next year. But doing something you love, you want to let it linger. You want to enjoy it. You want to savor it. That reveals your heart. It also reveals the brokenness of our hearts. As often we spend and dedicate so much of our time and energy and focus 
on unworthy things. Hedonistic and vain things often preoccupy a lot of our energy and a lot of our time. So much is wasted on these things. The pursuit of pleasure, lust, the love of money, pornographic obsessions, gluttonous consumption, and the personal crusade for self-justification. So many people build their lives on such things. And of course, we're coming to the end of June. In recent years, June has been co-opted by self-obsessed desire to justify oneself. They call it pride. You can't avoid it. Entire groups of people want to be identified entirely based on their sexuality. Human beings in their pride want to re-identify themselves based on their mistaken sexual desires. Or even if the pursuit is not rooted in reality, they want complete autonomy for themselves. They want to remake themselves. And their goal is to make everyone else accept how they remake themselves. They abandon nature, so men try to be women and women try to be men. And if a person challenges this, they will, they're shouted out of the room. How dare you challenge my perception of myself? They're called names. They're bullied into silence. And they are building their lives on sand. And deep down, people who really identify according to their own pride know it. Because their lives are built on something that is so insecure and broken that they're about to cave in upon themselves. Of course, there are other things that people endeavor to build their lives upon that are just as weak, though are probably a bit more mainstream and common within God's church. There's money and entertainment. There's success. There's keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, Our neighbors went on a cruise. Well, we better do that too. Our brother bought a new car. We need to buy a nicer one. And then there's our own self-image as we curate how we choose to depict ourselves before the world via social media and other enterprises. Here we see every attempt at self-justification taking place. People want you to see and to know and be convinced that they are good. And they curate their lives, some even build their lives around that next status update so they can show you, this is the good I've done today. Just look at the next general election, as every person wants to take the picture of the I voted sticker on their shirt, just so that they can show they did a good thing. Once again, this too is just a symbol of how insecure we are, as we're constantly trying to prove our own goodness, and we realize that we've built upon sand, so what do we do? We build more. It's going to cave in. We can even do this with things that are good and virtuous, like family. Building your life upon your family, that's not a bad thing, it's a blessing. Yet too, this can be a weak foundation. Uh, So often people become so consumed with the affection for their family members that their affection displaces God in their hearts. As they begin to fear disrupting their familial relationships more than they fear the Lord. And so, for example, you'll have a parent whose son or daughter chooses a life of fornication, right? And in this case, a parent has the duty to speak to their child, rebuke them, call them out for such a thing. But parents often have to correct their children and call them to repentance, even into adulthood. This takes place, yet they don't. And this reveals their hearts. As a heart that is compelled by the gospel, desires the gospel to be applied to one's family members, 
But this doesn't happen if a person is left thinking that their sins are completely permissible to our, due to our silent acquiescence. Pastors, pastors often do the same for similar reasons as people are members of the church on paper, but they don't attend a service, and the pastor never speaks. And they fear the displeasure of the people. That person has relatives who contribute to the church in many ways. He doesn't want to anger them. He doesn't want to create waves or ruffle feathers. So he never calls people to repentance, right? And so he never speaks to the things that he's called to speak to. And so often, because of this, things like divorce or adultery or ambivalence or many other things that take place in God's church go on unquestioned. And this often leads to apostasy as people's faiths are broken by the negligence of the people who are called to speak. All because the pastor prioritized the favor of the congregation or the reliability of his income stream more than the gospel of Christ. See, these things happen because our affections can be misplaced and misguided when they're not built upon Christ. And the forgiveness of sins. So much ugliness is produced from these things. Much of it flows from our own sinful weakness. Yet this is not how God leaves us. He does not allow us to wallow in our own insufficiency and sinfulness. No, he calls us by the gospel. And it's not just once. He does this continually. In our lives, we are called every day by the forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ. Every day in our baptisms, we return to the feet of the cross, knowing that that's our hope. That's our comfort. Jesus died for me. Jesus has crucified for me. And every attempt at life apart from this is doomed to become an ugly, self-justifying, self-obsessed, willfully ignorant, and hostile life. Yet the life that is built on the foundation of Christ cannot be anything other than a blessed and beautiful life. The beauty of this life is contingent entirely on its connection to the source of beauty, and that's God. We are either estranged and hostile to God, or we are reconciled and forgiven by God. There's not an in-between there. Perhaps we see this clearly in today's gospel reading as a man is going to have a great feast and the invitations go out. The love of the master of the feast is extended, yet some decline the invite. And why? Well, it's because there are things that are more valuable to them that they wanted to attend to. Fields, oxen, even something as good as a new bride. And these are not evil things. Marriage is good. Having the means to provide for yourself is good. Yet when the time for the banquet came, they were called to heed the master's calling. It was the time to drop everything else and come and receive and rejoice in the gifts of their master. And at that moment, when they said there's something better, something more important, that's when their affections were misplaced. Their lives were not built upon the master of the feast. He, in his grace, offered them a place at his table, a seat to be near him. And he desired to share his riches and his love with him. But when the time for the feast came, they were too preoccupied to receive his gifts. 
And so they missed out because they excluded themselves. But that doesn't mean the master stops being gracious. No, he wants to show his grace to those who denied him so that they might know how good he is. While some wish to build their lives upon broken foundations, the others could see where that leads. The invite goes out to the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. It goes out to the highways and the hedges, to the scoundrels and the wayfarers. And when the invite comes to them, they joyfully come. And that is because the honor and joy of the master's invitation means something to them. They come running to his feast, and that's because they know where vanity leads, because they were living under it. They were either lacking what they desired, or striving for it in all the wrong ways. These people fell victim to the vanity, or they had lives that could not afford vanity, and all they had was the grace of a master and his invitation to join in his feast of love. And they would not despise this gift. Rather, they came running to it, because they could see how valuable it was. And that same goes for us. It's only when we're able to see what our sin produces in this life that we truly rejoice in the gospel. When we lose our heads, or we do something foolish that hurts the people we love. The life that is built on the foundation of Christ isn't a life that's completely free from our sinful impulses or the frailty of our sinful flesh. On the contrary, it is a life that sees and knows it for what it is. It is destructive, it divides, it breaks, it ruins things that were meant to be good, and it divides us from our gracious God. And this is what our sinful and prideful flesh wants. It wants to be free from God. It wants to be its own little Lord and Master. That is to build our life upon a faulty and broken foundation. But Christ alone is the solid foundation upon which we build. And that is because we are sinners who need forgiveness. And that forgiveness draws us nearer and nearer to God. As our sin would alienate us from God and create hostility due to our misplaced and fallen affections, the forgiveness of sins worked out for us in Christ brings us peace with God and restores our hearts to the rightful desires. Those who are fallen, are those who are fallen desire fallen things. The flesh desires those things that gratify the flesh. Yet those who are reconciled to God desire the things of God and build their lives upon the things of God. And the Christian desires the things that God promises to give. Namely, the Christian desires above everything else for their sins to be forgiven. The true Christian will cherish this gift above every other gift. Everything that a Christian thinks says and does by the power of the spirit is oriented around this gift that's what it means to be built upon the foundation of christ it means the forgiveness of sins informs everything in your life your parent and you parent your children based on your love for the gospel you forgive your children when they're difficult to forgive you love your parents based on your knowledge and your reception of the gospel. You forgive your parents for their shortcomings and you rejoice in what they've done for you. You love your spouse and you center your marriage upon the relationship between Christ and his holy church that is lifted up by the forgiveness of sins. You live out your vocation in the world with the forgiveness of sins in mind and the love of Christ in your mind. 
Because that's what motivates and drives the Christian. You love your neighbor based on this promise from God. And you are joined to the church and the people sitting around you today because you are fellow sinners who have been forgiven. None of these things work well without the forgiveness of sins. Children will follow their parents into darkness without the forgiveness of sins as parental weakness and failures are passed down and repeated often from generation to generation. Marriages that are not built on the gospel will eventually demand that society gives them no-fault divorce as people will become dissatisfied with their spouses and eventually, over time, want to get rid of them. Apart from Christ, vocations will become avocations that are not based upon love and service, but on getting what I want and what I believe and know I deserve right now. And this is when work becomes bitter. And congregations can do the same thing as we all seem to love the gospel. Yet often when you remove the gospel from the context of the church and it's centered around anything other than the forgiveness of Christ, what happens? Churches fall into legalism and false hope and manipulation and demands. And see, that is our natural disposition. It is to destroy our lives based on our own sinful desires. The gospel puts this to an end because Christ has died for sinners. Christ has died for me. I am forgiven. And this means that we are no longer captive to our sinful pride or our self-justification, our misplaced affections, and our destructive and horrible nature. These things rightly deserve the wrath of God, and the wrath of God has been poured out on them. Christ has taken these things upon himself and carried them to the cross. He has put them to an end. And there he died, and all of our sins have died with him. They have fallen apart, they are broken, they're gone. We have been made into something new. We have been made into members of the household of God. We have been welcomed into a never-ending heavenly banquet that feeds us with life and forgiveness. And because of this, we have been freed from those sins that are destroying us. We are freed from our sins. And that is when a true and beautiful life is lived. It's when our sins are confessed before the Lord and he forgives the iniquity of our sin. And that's what takes place today. As we gather in the fellowship of God's church, we gather as unworthy sinners who are receiving abundant and wonderful blessings that are beyond all reckoning. And that is because we gather in faith and we receive in faith. All who hear the word today and believe what it promises Namely, that your sins are forgiven for the sake of Jesus, that you are reconciled with God because Christ has become a man. That you have a place in the kingdom of Christ by the mercy and grace of God. That you have a room in God's eternal household. These things are yours by faith. And that changes who you are. These alter what you love. These fix our misguided affections. Those who have and know the forgiveness of sins love the forgiveness of sins. Those who trust in God's promises flee where those promises are offered. This is where peace with God is offered. A life that is reconciled with God through the cross of Jesus. That's a beautiful life. It is a good life. No matter what may befall you, no matter how poor or rich you are, no matter what blessings or earthly blessings you lack or have, 
If your sins are forgiven, you are blessed. And that's the forgiveness of sins infiltrates every aspect and facet of your lives. They grow more and more beautiful. As we are drawn out from alienation of our sins into the grace and the fellowship of God, we join him as his affections and his loves become our affections and our loves. He loves to forgive sinners, and we are called to love living in forgiveness and dwelling in the mercy of Christ. And we are called to love forgiving our neighbor and granting peace in our relationships with one another as we flee from the world and the fallen affections of our flesh and rest in the grace of Christ alone, because he is the cornerstone. On him alone we build. Without him we are doomed to collapse in on ourselves, but with him we are free. We are freed from the curse of our sin. We are freed from the brokenness of our misplaced desires, hopes, and loves. We are free to enjoy the gifts of his heavenly banquet as he extends himself to us and says, I forgive you. So we live in that forgiveness. And in that we are built into an incollapsible, imperishable, an eternal household for the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith, the life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.